This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with one of my favorite programs, Inner Sanctum. Now, in my memories of my childhood, I remember vividly a scary moment when living with my mom and dad and my sister Eleanor just outside of London, Ontario, and I was about eight, my sister was three years older. My parents had gone out for the evening, and Eleanor was left in charge. Now, <laughs> not always a good sign for a younger brother. Well, we were listening to Inner Sanctum on the radio, and a very scary moment in the show... I heard tapping on the window. I looked at the window and screamed. took me a few moments to realize it was my sister with a flashlight beam under her chin glaring at me with the most hideous face she could muster up. Oh, yes, inner sanctum. That has stayed with me all these years. Have you ever been alone with fear, alone in the night and frightened? Well, listen to First Lady of Radio Agnes Moorhead, alone in the role of the redhead Linda Dixon, who will tell us a tale of terror by night. Linda Dixon driving along late on a stormy night and having car trouble when she hears on the radio of an escaped dangerous prisoner, a dark-haired man named John Hartley, accompanied by his dangerous and clever red-haired girlfriend, Helen Hearn. This is a good shocker with surprise ending. So, to Inner Sanctum now and Terror by Night. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries Welcome to the shadowy borderland of the squeaking door, all you hardy adventurers. Into the land of the grisly, ghastly, gruesome, horrid, shocking, and monstrous. <laughs> I mean, in a sanctum. Of course, I assume that we're all old friends here, but if by any chance there's a stranger among us, perhaps I should state the purpose for which we are here assembled. Our object is to make your spine tingle and your hair stand on end. <laughs> That's right. When we're through, you'll discover that a fiend in need is a fiend indeed. <laughs> Heavens, you stop talking so scary, or folks will tune us off their radios. Oh, Mary, I'm just trying to scare them into the chill, so they'll have to drink Lipton tea. <laughs> well, that isn't necessary at all. For a great many years, people have been enjoying Lipton tea without any persuasion from you. That famous Lipton flavor has won the praise of tea experts all over the world. And you know, folks, these experts describe the Lipton flavor by saying that it's brisk. B-R-I-S-K. 
Now, brisk means that Lipton tea always tastes fresh and, and full-bodied. Yes, tangy and vigorous. Never flat or wishy-washy. That's why I always say you don't know how good tea can be till you know how good Lipton's is. And now, friends, let's go from tea to terror. <laughs> yes, the title of tonight's story is Terror by Night. It's an original radio play by Emil Tepperman. Tell me, have you ever been alone with fear? Alone in the night and frightened? Well, here's Anne Shepherd in the role of Linda Dixon to tell us what happened to her. It was a Friday night, and I think I was already a little nervous as I drove north into the mountains. It was the first day of my vacation... I started from the city early enough to arrive before nightfall, but my car was six years old and developed motor trouble. So now I was driving through the night with 50 miles more to go, and I was tired and nervous and irritated. And then I heard that siren in the distance. At first I couldn't place it. And then I remembered the state prison was somewhere in the vicinity. The siren... That meant... That meant a prisoner had escaped. I reached over and turned on the radio. They were broadcasting an alarm. I repeat, motorists are warned to be on the lookout for Lee Hartley, who escaped from the death cell at State Prison at 9.15 p.m. He is 5 foot 10, dark-haired, regular features, no distinguishing marks. Hartley is a confirmed killer. He is believed to be armed. Beware of Hartley. He would rather kill than eat. I'd better give you that he again. He would rather kill than eat. And that man was loose. I stared ahead at the lonely road spinning toward me through the windshield. It has been established that Hartley was helped to escape from the outside by a sweetheart, Helen Hearn, a red-headed woman just as vicious as Hartley himself. It is thought that Hartley and the Hearn woman may have separated after the escape. All motorists are warned to beware of a dark-haired man and a red-haired woman, alone or together. My hand was shaking a little as I turned off the radio. I looked in the car mirror and shivered. I, too, have red hair. There was a storm coming up, and I was driving into it. And the night was black, and I felt small and lonely and frightened in the car. <gasps> then I saw them in the mirror, the, the headlights sweeping up behind me. A car. It had come out of nowhere. It was pulling alongside, cutting me off. I cowered behind the wheel and then watched the door of that other car open. A man stepped out. Oh. I breathed a sigh of relief. It was a state trooper. You driving all alone, miss? Oh, yes, officer. I'm sorry if I scared you. We're stopping all cars. Where are you heading for, miss? Oh, I'm going up to uh, Seven Lakes Hotel. That's near Carstairs. You see, I, I started out late from the city, and I, I'm having motor trouble. Yeah, sure. Can I see your driver's license, please? My... Oh. Yes, my driver's license, of course. Here, I've... Uh, Got it somewhere in my purse. I seem to be all fingers. That escaped prisoner, Hartley. How'd you know about him? 
Oh, well, I, I heard the prison siren. Then it, it came over the radio about Hartley and his red-haired girlfriend. Say, you've got red hair, too. <laughs> well, you don't think I'm that woman. Find that license yet? Well, I'm sure it's in here. So many... Oh, here, I've got it. Here, here's my license. Thanks. Hmm. What time did you say you left the city? About five o'clock. Took you a long time to get this far. Well, I told you I had motor trouble. Oh, oh sure you did. Uh, okay, Miss Dixon, here's your license. You can go ahead. Thank you. Oh, darn. There it goes again. More motor trouble. No, it's the same thing the mechanic said it might have. <laughs> there it started. You want to get that fixed first chance you get? Yeah. It's late, though. All the service stations are closed. Yeah, there's one that's open all night about two miles up the road. Oh? You better stop there. Bill Slater's place. He's a good mechanic. Yeah. He'll fix you up. Tell him Joe Nesbitt sent you. Christ, thanks. I will. Uh, listen, Miss Dixon. Yeah. You be careful. Don't stop to give anyone a lift, man nor woman. Oh, don't worry. I won't. <laughs> closed in on me again, but I didn't feel quite so nervous knowing that the trooper was somewhere behind me on the road and Bill Slater's service station ahead. In a few minutes, I saw the lights on the service station. I swung into the open space in front of the pumps and I stopped. There was a rumbling of thunder in the west. The storm was moving up fast. There was another car, a coupe, parked at the pump. But there wasn't anybody in it. And I didn't see any attendant around either. I pressed the horn button. And no one answered. No one came out of the office. Still no response. Everything seemed so quiet and suddenly ominous. I found myself shivering. I had a curious feeling that Someone was watching me. I've got to get away from here fast. Started on the work again. It won't start. It won't start. For a long time, I sat behind the wheel, listening, listening for the sound of footsteps. Stealing up behind the car. There were none. Then I could bear it no longer. I had to get out of the car. I had to see what was in that office. I opened the door of the car and stepped down on the gravel. Anybody in there? No answer. I clenched my fists and stepped inside. There on the floor, at my feet, lay the body of a man. His mechanic's jumper was stained red with blood. And his throat was cut from ear to ear. How long I stood there, I'll never know. I was petrified, unable to move, unable to take my eyes from the bloody body. 
What's that? Someone coming downstairs. Hartley? It must be Hartley, the killer. He must have been hiding somewhere upstairs. I've got to get away outside. But how? My car won't run. That other car, the coupe, I could jump into that. Yes. If I could reach that coupe before he comes down. Anything I... wrong, sister? Too late. Anything I can do for you, sister? Uh, yes. It, it, it's my car. It, it won't start. I thought someone here might help me. Sorry. There doesn't seem to be anybody around. That's my coupe over there. I stopped for gas and no one came out, so I went in and looked around. Did, did, did you uh, find anyone? There isn't a living soul in there. Oh. You, you look kind of tired. Oh, no, no, I'm, I, I'm all right. My name is Taylor. Oh? John Taylor. Uh, I'm uh, Linda Dixon. Linda Dixon, huh? I'm glad to know you. Traveling far tonight? Well, I'm going to Carstairs. Uh, Seven Lakes Hotel. They, they, they're expecting me. Now, what do you know about that? What? Carstairs is the town I'm heading for, too. Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is. Your car won't run, huh? Tell you what, we'll put your baggage in my car and I'll give you a lift to Carstairs. You can send for your car in the morning. Oh, uh, no. I... I'll have your bag switched in a jiffy. Please, no, I, I would rather not... There we are. All switched. Now, come on. Get in here. He took my arm and helped me into the coupe. His hand was strong. His grip was hard. It hurt me. There you are. Snug as a bug in a rug. We drove away into the night, leaving behind us the dead man in the service station. It looks as if pretty Linda Dixon has gotten herself into an awful jam. And believe me, she's shaking like jelly. My goodness, that poor girl. And just think, this is supposed to be her vacation. Why, Mary, she's in the country now, isn't she? In fact, it looks to me like she's going back to the soil. Horizontally. <laughs> oh, dear. Why do you always look on the dark side of things? Seems to me you're always pessimistic. Of course, lots of folks feel that way at times, like when they've been working too hard and they're tired. But, you know, I think there's nothing better for that let-down feeling than a good hot cup of Lipton's, the tea with the brisk flavor. That brisk flavor really perks you up. You see, that word brisk, B-R-I-S-K, is just another way of saying that Lipton tea tastes full-bodied and, and vigorous. Yes, tangy and, and spirited, never flat or wishy-washy. So, try Lipton's real soon, won't you, folks? Well, now, let's go back and see how pretty little Linda Dixon is making out. All alone in the car with a strange man. But after all, she shouldn't be too scared of him. He's just a felon who needs a friend. <laughs> 
The storm broke a few minutes after we left that service station. We drove through sheets of rain. I sat stiff and tense beside the man who called himself John Taylor. He had both hands on the wheel, and he stared out through the windshield. My eyes focused on something on his right hand. It was a stain, a small stain, but it was wet and red. I couldn't take my eyes off it. What are you looking at? Well, oh, nothing. Nothing at all. Hmm. Think I'll turn on the radio. Did you know there's been a jailbreak? Barkley is five foot ten, very dark hair. Don't be fooled by his pleasant manner. He is a killer by instinct. Killer no chances by with this man. He is absolutely... I killer. looked at the man beside me. Helen Hearn is a clever and dangerous woman. Five foot three, red hair, very pretty. I caught Taylor looking at me out of the corner of his eye. What are you looking at? At your hair. It's red. There was a streak of lightning. And looking out of the rain-swept window, I glimpsed a signpost. The lightning illuminated the sign, and my heart skipped a beat at what I saw. That sign we just passed. What about it? Well, it, it uh, said Krahonks in the head. We're going the, the wrong way. We should be on the Carstairs Road, not on the Krahonksen Road. That's funny. Must have taken the wrong turn. But aren't you going to turn back? Sure. Whatever you say. We'll turn right around and go back. Uh-oh. We're in the ditch. In the ditch? That's no good. She won't budge. Well, it looks like we're stuck here for the night. scared. Oh, no. Um, I think I'd better get out and walk. Perhaps there's a house nearby. Walk in this weather? Oh, I don't mind the weather, really. I don't... You can't walk in this storm? Well, uh, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. Not on your life. What do you mean? I'm staying right here till I get the car out of the ditch. You get pneumonia walking in this storm. But I'm Let's well... Let's see. Where's that flashlight? Ah, oh, here we are. Got some tools in the trunk compartment. You stay put. Stay right where you are. I heard him open the trunk in the back. I listened for further sounds. But there was nothing. I didn't hear him moving there. I didn't hear any tools. I had to find out what he was doing. Slowly... Carefully, I got my door open. I stepped out into the rain and sneaked back to the rear. I saw him there, not moving, in front of the open trunk compartment, bending over with a flashlight in his hand. The ray of light was focused on, on something curled up inside. It wasn't baggage or tool. <gasps> It was a woman's body. Just then he saw me, he snapped the flashlight off, but not before I caught a glimpse of red hair. Then I must have fainted. 
when I came to, I found myself seated inside the car again. My face and hair were wet. My clothes were dripping. John Taylor was driving. His face, as he stared ahead through the night, was dark and bleak. The storm was over. The night was quiet. Oh, so you're awake again. I... I don't feel well. Is it because of what's in the trunk compartment? She's dead. I told you not to get out of the car. What are you going to do with me? What do you think? Please. Sorry, sister. I've got to take your medicine. Oh, no. Better not make any trouble. I'll try to make it as easy for you as I can. They say that when a person loses all hope, Subconsciously, he seeks refuge in sleep. That's what must have happened to me. I must have dozed, or, or perhaps I fainted, I don't know. But I awoke with a start at the sound of brakes. I sat up straight and saw that we stopped in front of a small fieldstone house. Why are we stopping here? I'm out of gas. Oh. Come on. We're going in. Sign on the door said Roger Bryce, M.D. A doctor's house. I began to feel a spark of hope. There might be a chance. I'll do the talking. Is that clear? Uh, yes. Where's the bell? Oh. Must be awake. There's a light in the parlor. How do you do? Good evening, Dr. Bryce. Yes. Can I help you? I'm terribly sorry to disturb you, Doctor, but my sister and I were heading for Carstairs, and we seem to have gotten lost. And we're out of gas. His sister? He was passing us off as brother and sister. Now I knew why he hadn't cut my throat as he had that service station man's. He was carrying me for protection. I was his passport through the police court. His sister. I'm afraid I can't be of much help to you. I'm seven miles from the nearest town, and I haven't any spare gasoline. Come in, won't you? Why, yes, thank you, we will. I wonder if I could offer you my hospitality for the night. Oh, that would be imposing. Not at all. I have two rooms that aren't being used. Oh, really? Oh, I... come. I insist. I'd hoped for a chance to talk to Dr. Bryce alone. Just a word to warn him. But Taylor never left us alone for a minute. He insisted on... Coming into my room to make sure he said that it was comfortable enough for me. Then he took the doctor by the arm and went out with him. Good night, sis. And sweet dreams. I was alone. Free of the presence of John Taylor. I had another lease on life. I waited. My heart pounding. Give them both a chance to retire. Then I slipped off my shoes. And in my stocking feet, I stole across the room and inched my door open. Slowly, carefully, I stepped out into the corridor and turned right toward the doctor's room. What's the matter, sister? You weren't thinking of going anywhere, were you? I wanted a drink of water. A drink of water, huh? 
In case you didn't know it, there's a water pitcher on your dresser. Oh, I didn't see it. Good night, sister. I turned around and went back into my room. It was no use. If I attempted to warn Dr. Bryce, Taylor would probably kill us both. I turned out the light in my room. I knew he was watching my transom. Then I lay down on the bed. How long I lay there, I don't know. Perhaps I slept, perhaps not. But I heard that slight creak as my door began to inch open. The blood chilled in my veins. Slowly the door came open. I lay fascinated, unable to move. Vaguely I saw the outline of the hand and the knife it held. I, I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. Slowly he came toward the bed. Now he stands over me. He raises the knife. And rolled over on the bed just as the knife slashed down. I rolled off the bed and cowered in a corner. That horrible figure came around the bed after me. With a knife. Afraid. I strained my eyes to see there was a vague shape on the floor and another weaving around the room. Who? Which one was it? Doctor! Doctor Bryce! Is that you? No, Linda. It isn't Dr. Bryce. It's I. John Taylor. John Taylor. Standing there at the light switch. And on the floor lay Dr. Bryce unconscious. With a long gash in his head. I... I had to hit him. With a water pitcher. My eyes turned to Dr. Bryce. I saw the knife still gripped in his right hand. That's Hartley, Linda. Lee Hartley, the killer. It was he who... Came in here with a knife? Right, I... I was down the cellar just now. The real Dr. Bryce is down there. Dead. And this fellow posed as Bryce when we came to the house. Then... Then you... You're not Hartley. No. Isn't that rich? All the time you thought I was Lee Hartley and... I thought you were Helen Hearn. On account of your red hair. But... But... The body... The, the body... The red-haired woman. That's Helen Hearn. This fellow must have killed her back at the service station and stuffed her body in my trunk compartment while I was inside. That all happened last summer. In time, I think I'll manage to forget that night of horror. But it won't be soon. 
Sometimes in the night I dream that I, I see that awful figure with the knife poised above my throat. And I wake up screaming. But then John takes me in his arms and holds me tight and tells me that everything's all right. You see, I'm Mrs. John Taylor now. Well, what do you know? A happy ending. As for Mr. Hartley, that pleasant killer, he got what he deserved. Yeah, some people never know when they're well off. You should have stayed in jail where they never raise your rent, where they make no charge for meals or for uh, electric current. You see, when you're in jail, everything is free, except you. <laughs> you know, Mr. Host, that's the first happy ending we've had in a long, long time. And I must say, I enjoyed it. Ah, those lovebirds shouldn't have gotten married. It's bad for business, Mary. Now, when she wakes up screaming from a nightmare, she reaches for her husband instead of a hot cup of a Lipton tea. <laughs> well, I'm glad she has a husband to comfort her. There are plenty of other occasions, Mr. Host, when Lipton's tea is welcome. And I don't mean just at mealtimes, either. Lipton's is grand between meals. And, of course, it's the perfect beverage to serve when friends and neighbors drop in to visit you. Yes, I guess that's why more people serve Lipton tea than any other brand. And now a word of caution to all amateur detectives. They say that if you give a criminal enough rope, he'll hang himself. But if you give some criminals enough rope, they might tie you up. Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Puzzle for Wantons by Patrick Quentin. Yes, and next week's Inner Sanctum story, directed by Hyman Brown, and brought to you by Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup. Next week's story is about a lonely man who falls in love with a mannequin in a store window. But gee, fella wants a real girl. So he tries to make her come to life. And what do you know? He finds he has to kill her first. <laughs> well, now it's time to close the squeaking door, so... Good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Our Miss Brooks and Eve Arden and the episode entitled... The Frog, and <laughs> for good reason. Being the traditional romantic type, Connie Brooks sent Mr. Boynton an unsigned Valentine Day card. Well, she's feeling very low when he hasn't sent any card at all, spends more time with his frogs than her. Harriet Conklin shares her own man trouble with Connie. It seems that Walter Denton has been ignoring her as well. The French teacher, Mr. LeBlanc, uh, suggests trying to play hard to get with Mr. Boynton to make him jealous. Maybe the target of Boynton's affection, McDougal the Frog, gets a female companion, then he might take the hint and see the need for a female companion for himself. Sneaky. <laughs> Will it work? Well, let's find out. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Madison High. Well, like many other romantically inclined people, she sent the object of her affections, Madison's bashful biologist, Philip Boynton, an unsigned card for Valentine's Day. And then she sat down to wait for his reply. It wasn't that his reply was long in coming. It just didn't come at all. 
Knowing Mr. Boynton, I wasn't too surprised that he forgot about Valentine's Day, but I was determined to change the locale of our next date. For the past six weeks, we had spent every Friday afternoon at the zoo. Now, I am definitely not anti-animal, but I am a schoolteacher, and hence, after spending three hours in the monkey house, I just can't afford to buy taboo by the court. <laughs> I was brooding about it in the school cafeteria on Friday when Harriet Conklin walked over. Mind if I sit down with you, Miss Brooks? Not at all, Harriet. But don't you usually have lunch with Walter Denton? Oh, yes, I do. But he's manager of the basketball team, you know, and he's giving the boys an extra skull practice. Really? Whose skull are they using today? <laughs> I hope you're not expecting Mr. Boynton to have lunch with you, Miss Brooks. He told me he was eating his lunch in the laboratory because he didn't want to leave McDougal alone. Oh, don't tell me that frog is sick again. Oh, not actually sick. It's just spring fever or something. It's kind of fun to have lunch without any men around anyway. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? Well, yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? No. <laughs> a real woman-to-woman -woman talk in a long time. You know, Walter Denton is crazier about me than ever. All I have to do is whistle and he comes running. Really? It's the only way to train them. That's what you want to try with Mr. Boynton. I have, but every time I whistle, he opens his lunchbox. <laughs> Sometimes his dog-like affection and constant worship becomes absolutely cloying. Well, I wish Mr. Boynton would cloy me once in a while. <laughs> By the way, Harriet, when Walter takes you out on a date, where do you usually go? Oh, all sorts of places, Miss Brooks. A drive in the country or, or a long walk in the park. Or sometimes we go to a movie and hold hands. Do you ever go to the zoo? The zoo? Oh, gosh, no. Except when Mr. Boynton takes us there for his monthly lecture. That's where I've got an edge on you kids. I hear it every week. <laughs> but Mr. Boynton takes you to the movies once in a while, doesn't he? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, we went last week. Was it romantic? Oh, extremely. We stood in a crowd of people behind a velvet rope for a while, and then an usher said, there's one down front. Yes? That was the last I saw of Mr. Boynton for three hours. <laughs> I finally got a seat in the balcony. Oh, golly, that's a shame, Miss Brooks. You couldn't hold hands at all, could you? Not even with the long gloves I was wearing. <laughs> But about those Fridays in the monkey house, Harriet... I'm surprised at you, Miss Brooks. You don't really let Mr. Boynton take you to the monkey house every week, do you? Well, I think it's the monkey house. It can't be the Taj Mahal with all those bananas. Uh. <laughs> well, if it isn't Madison High's Ferris, may I join this charming bevy of pulchritude? Why, Walter, what a lovely speech. Yes, you are a delightful child, Walter. But if you'll excuse me, Miss Brooks, I'd like to get my entree at the steam table. Oh, can I be of service, Fair Harriet? I'll gladly fetch what you want. No, thank you. But if you'll sit up nicely when I return, I'll pat you on the head. Arf, arf. <laughs> can I get you anything, Miss Brooks? No, thanks, Harriet. Just bring back a roast beef bone and a can of strong heart. <laughs> okay, Harriet. You know, I think it's wonderful the way you kids get along. You're very fond of Harriet, aren't you, Walter? Very a plus which Harriet's the principal's daughter and I'm manager of the basketball team. And there are things that I can accomplish quicker if I can get to Mr. Conklin without having to go through regulation channels all the time. What's good about getting to Mr. Conklin so fast? Well, I like getting things done fast that need getting done fast. Uh, like New Jersey's, for instance. Like New Jersey's what, for instance? <laughs> Not New Jersey's anything. New Jersey's for the basketball team. Oh, we need them badly. You do at that. 
The ones the team wore in their last game looked awfully fuzzy. They didn't wear any in their last game. <laughs> but I'm sure the new ones will come through all right. I'm taking Harriet out on a date tonight, and I can bring it up casually when I see Mr. Conklin at his house. I don't like to suggest a career for you, Walter, but I have a feeling you're going to kiss an awful lot of babies before you're much older. <laughs> oh, I could never be a politician. I'm too sincere. Oh, but why are we talking about me? You seem to have a problem of your own on your mind, Miss Brooks. Is it that obvious, Walter? I have been thinking about Mr. Boynton, but only in connection with getting him out of the zoo and into my parlor. Hmm, that shouldn't be too tough. What kind of a web are you spinning? Web? Look, Miss Brooks, at the risk of feeling like a traitor to a fellow male, I'll help you plot Mr. Boynton's overthrow. But frankly, I'm kind of hungry right now. Then why don't you eat, Walter, and we can finish building the bomb after lunch. <laughs> oh, say, there's Mr. LeBlanche, the new French teacher. Oh, he ought to know plenty about romance. He's a real Frenchman. I'll call him over. Don't you dare, Walter. When I'm ready to take my case to the United Nations, I'll let you know. <laughs> Besides, I've seen Mr. LeBlanche on dates with Miss Enright lately. So what? Miss Enright goes on dates with anybody. Gosh, every time she sees Mr. Boynton, she makes goo-goo eyes at him. That's not nice, Walter. Miss Enright's eyes are always that way. <laughs> I mean, it's unethical. Unethical is better than lonesome, Miss Brooks. Oh, Mr. LeBlanc. Walter, please. You I... call me, Walter? Yes. Would you be kind enough to come over here a minute? I'd like to talk to you about something very important. Well, you better talk to him, anyway, Walter, because I refuse I to... I bring my coffee along and... Oh. I'll do you, Miss Brooks. Fine. How do you, Mr. LeBlanc? <laughs> What, uh, what did you want to talk to me about, Walter? Oh, it isn't important. I'll see you later. Now, that's what I call a real subtle maneuver. <laughs> he's, a, he's a funny boy, no? No. <laughs> well, now, now he's just you and I, Miss Foxy. I'm afraid he's just you, Mr. LeBlanc. I've got to see Mr. Conklin about something. Mr. Conklin, please, Miss Books, I think Mr. Conklin is a fine principal... But do you have to mention him during the lunch period? <laughs> You've got something there. I guess it can wait a while. It's only a question of giving him my weekly dollar. Oh, you owe him a weekly dollar? For what? It's a long and grim story, but I think I can boil it down to the repulsive essentials. A couple of weeks ago, I took an electric heater of his, connected it in Mr. Boynton's laboratory on an overloaded circuit, and shorted the building, started a small fire, and ruined the heater. Why do that? I like sirens. <laughs> oh, I didn't do it purposely, Mr. LeBlanc. It was an accident. One for which I'm paying at the rate of a dollar a week. And today's dollar day at Madison. Well, that is too bad, Miss Brooks, but it is not money that causes you to look the way you do today. Is there a sign on my forehead? How do I look today? Well, there are only two things that can make a woman have the look you have on your face. One is an affair of the heart. The other is the meatballs in this cafeteria. <laughs> but, but neither of them is incurable, eh? I'm sure. You haven't eaten those meatballs lately. <laughs> Look, it's nice of you to try and cheer me up, Mr. LeBlanc. Oh, please, but... call me Paul. And I'm not trying to cheer you up. I'm trying to help you. First of all, tell me this. Did you receive any messages on Valentine's Day? Oh, scared. I got one from Zimmerman's Bakery, one from the finance company, a lovely little card from Bertie's Bicycle Shop, in the shape of a pump, that one was. And, uh, oh yes, a dandy little poem from Sam, our neighborhood scissor sharpener. I think I remember that one. It went, uh, 
I've applied my grindstone to shears both old and new, but I never met a scissors one half as sharp as you. <laughs> Wasn't that a peachy sentiment for Valentine's Day? Oh, quite amusing, yes, but not to you, I'm afraid. Because you're not in love with Sam the Scissor or Bertie the Bicycle. No, my problem is Boynton the Biology. <laughs> Miss Wilkes, since we have taken me into your confidence, I would like to make a suggestion. You must play... How do you say in this country? Uh, uh, you must play difficult to acquire. Difficult to acquire? Ah. Oh, you mean hard to get. Mm. Uh-huh. Precisely. <laughs> now tell me. Tell me the truth. When Mr. Boynton asks you for an engagement... Do you ever say no? Well, no. But it isn't just because of Mr. Boynton. I'd hate to disappoint 400 monkeys. <laughs> that is, I haven't gone out with him much lately at all. Because he do not ask you. Well, I like that. I am glad. Miss Wilkes, there's one way to get a man interested that never fails. You must make him gel out. that, Mr. LeBlanc, but he does, just doesn't gel out very easily. Ah, yes, but you've tried it only once. That is not enough. How do the big American advertisings work? A repetition over and over the same thing. What is it you hear on the radio all the time? Smoker Benny. Listen <laughs> again. Smoker Benny. <laughs> if you repeat this often enough, you know what happens. Yeah, Jack gets pretty burned up. <laughs> no, Mr. LeBlanc, I'm afraid Mr. Boynton is too wrapped up in a frog to pay any attention to me. Oh, but of course, I forget Monsieur Le Frog. You know, in France, we have a proverb. Le chemin au cœur d'homme est par son grenelle. Translation, the way to a man's heart is to his frog. <laughs> I don't see what it has oh, to do. Oh, it's so simple, really. Here you have a man with his little pet, Monsieur Le Frog. And here you have a woman with her pet, Mademoiselle La Frog. Now, we convince the man that Monsieur Le Frog is lonesome. And where can his poor little frog find companionship? With Mademoiselle La Frog. And when the two little frogs are together, where are the man and the woman? Pricing junior beds for tadpoles. <laughs> No, Miss Brooks, no. The man and the woman are also together. Now you know, Miss Brooks, what you have to do to get Mr. Boynton to be a bastard dog, no? Yes, I've got to build a better frog trap. <laughs> Look, Mr. Le Frog, uh, LeBlanc. <laughs> this idea is oh, a little impressive. I'm coming, Miss Brooks. Oh, you look better already. Hello, Walter. Mr. LeBlanc is quite an idea man. <laughs> we were just discussing a really fantastic scheme. Not only fantastic, but ridiculous and absurd. Walter. Yes, Miss Brooks? Run down to Peterson's pet shop and get me a female frog. <laughs> Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. The makers of Palm Olive Soap are giving away $100,000 in prizes. First prize, $49,000, plus over 4,900 other cash prizes in the big 49 Gold Rush Contest. Hundreds will strike it rich in this exciting Gold Rush Contest. One of them may be you. It's easy to enter. Just finish this sentence and 25 additional words or less. I like palm olive soap because... That's all. Just 25 words or less to finish the sentence, I like palm olive soap because... Then mail your entry right away along with a palm olive soap wrapper. 
Try for your share of that $100,000 in prizes right now. Your chance of winning $49,000 is as good as anyone. Get entry blank with complete rules from your dealer or write your completed sentence on plain paper. Include your name and address and dealer's name and address. Mail with one palm olive soap wrapper for each entry to Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Better write that down. Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Enter as often as you like, including one wrapper with each entry. Get palm olive soap right away to help win a lovelier complexion and try for your share of the $100,000 in cash prizes. Well, I gave Walter my last dollar to buy a female frog, and while he was out getting it, I took advantage of a free period to visit Mr. Boynton in his laboratory. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. I just dropped in to say hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello. Well, goodbye, Mr. Boynton. Oh, don't go yet. I've just been examining McDougal. You know, my frog. He's got me a little worried. He's way off his feet, and we'll, we'll look at him. <laughs> don't you think his eyes pop out more than usual? What did you say? I, I said, don't you think his eyes pop out more than usual? Yes. For a minute, I thought he was Eddie Cantor. <laughs> Mac. Mm. Of course, you know what's wrong with Mac, don't you? Uh, no, Miss Brooks, I don't. Well, it's getting very close to spring, and it's just... After all, you raised him from a tadpole, and it's only natural that you should still think of him as your baby, but he's a big boy now. What do you mean, Miss Brooks? Well, just this, Mr. Boynton. Did it ever occur to you that Mac gets lonesome all alone in that cage? Oh, I let him out of the cage quite often. He hops all over the lab. But what good is that? He hasn't got any friends here. Oh, I don't know. There are always a number of guinea pigs around. Of course, he doesn't pay much attention to them. Well, naturally, guinea pigs make fine friends for other guinea pigs. A frog might crave a different kind of companionship. Oh, what about me? I'm very close to McDougal. I've been his constant companion. If I were a frog, I don't think I'd consider that the ideal arrangement either. Now, I think I'd want something a little more frog-like. What are you getting at, Miss Brooks? Look, did you ever sit down and tell McDougal about the birds and bees? Well, what does he want with birds and bees? He won't even make friends with guinea pigs. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Mrs. Davis, my landlady, has a cat named Minerva. Now, around this time of the year, Minerva keeps us both awake half the night with an almost incessant yowling. Well, have you tried giving her a saucer of milk? That's not what she's yowling about, Mr. Barnum. <laughs> Yes, I know. And believe me, if I thought it would quiet her down, I'd give her an autographed picture of Elsie the cow. But it won't. She's yowling because she's lonely. Why, Miss Brooks, I didn't know you were so aware of these biological manifestations. Where did you learn all this? My mama done told me. <laughs> I mean, I found out about a lot of things since, since I've acquired my pet frog. Pet female frog, that is. Oh, you have a pet frog, Miss Brooks? What's her name? Her name? Uh, Millie. Millie? Yes, from the picture of the mating of Millie. <laughs> oh, she's awfully cute, too. <laughs> Why, you think Mac almost understood what you were talking about? Well, don't think for a minute he doesn't. What do you say, Mac? Would you like to come over and play with Millie this afternoon? <laughs> <Hooray>! <laughs> 
Today you are a man, Frog. Oh, this is amazing, Miss Brooks. Look, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you if... Uh, uh, shine up your hope chest, Millie. Here it comes. I'd like to ask you, Miss Brooks, uh, how about a, a double date? That is, if you... Well, if it isn't too much trouble. Shall we say my place for tea? Splendid. Just bring a pogo stick and a deck of cards, Mr. Barnhill. A pogo stick and cards? Yes, while Mac and Millie play gin, you and I can have a hopping contest. <laughs> oh, l'amour, l'amour. Excuse me. Uh, could you come over here to the door a minute, Miss Brooks? I've got to get to my next class. Oh, certainly, Walter. I'll just be a minute, Mr. Barnhill. Did you get it, Walter? Yes, it's in this paper bag, Miss Brooks. Here. Thanks. That's okay. I hope it works, Miss Brooks. Well, I'll see you in English. What's in the bag, Miss Brooks? This bag? Oh, just a roast beef sandwich Walter brought me. Well, it's a pretty active one. Hey, look out, it's falling out of the bag. Uh, here, here, let me see that. Uh, yeah, I've got him. Uh, oh, Miss Brooks, do you realize what you've got here? Sure, an F-R-O-G. <laughs> I didn't want to mention it in front of Mac until we got home. Oh, but this I... is a male frog. You, you can always tell. Because in the species Dimorphognathus from West Africa, there's a very apparent dimorphism in the dentition. The male's being provided with a series of large serrated teeth in the lower jaw, which in the female is edentulous. Well, slap me with a wet lily pad. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Boynton, I've got to be running along now. Oh, why, Miss Brooks? I've got to see a boy about a frog. Well, here, here, I'll put it back in the bag for you. Now, just hold the top tighter and he won't get away again. I still don't comprehend why you got this male frog. Well, I didn't know how you and McDougal would react to the idea of keeping Millie company, so I thought I'd play safe and get this one, too. Ooh, ooh. Oh, I don't think Mac likes the idea very much. Uh, don't be jealous, Mac. Let him live his own life. <laughs> we better not come over this afternoon, Miss Brooks. I'm afraid it'd only confuse Mac. Look, Mr. Boynton, I don't care if a frog wants to play hard to get, but there's something I'd like you to remember. Well, what's that, Miss Brooks? Well, I don't want to sound too much like an English teacher, but when one plays hard to get too often, one sometimes don't get got. <laughs> I'll just take this frog into my room and see how Walter happened to make such well, an awful... Well, there you are, Connie. I've been looking all over for you. Mrs. Davis, what are you doing in the hallowed halls of Madison High? Well, I know how you've been waiting for a Valentine card from Mr. Boynton, and I just had to tell you that all hope isn't lost. But today is Friday, Mrs. Davis. That's just it, Connie. Some mail came this morning that should have been delivered Monday. A Valentine? No, a bill from the gas company. <laughs> now, that's the nicest bit of sentiment since Sam Scissors. <laughs> they say that if we don't pay it immediately, they'll shut off the gas. Just my luck with Mr. Boynton coming over for tea. It couldn't be the electric company promising to shut off all the lights. No, son. <laughs> and I'm short some money or I wouldn't bother you in school like this. You know, Minerva cost me a lot lately with her special diet. No. Just how much do you need, Mrs. Davis? Well, if you'll forgive a slang expression, one greenback will do it. I just happen to have one on me. He's in this bag here. <laughs> now, don't look so alarmed, Mrs. Davis. I'm not cracking up completely. Look, just take this frog back to Peterson's Pet Shop and they'll refund my dollar. I'll explain why I bought the frog later. You don't have to explain anything to me, Connie. If you want a frog for a pet, it's perfectly all right. But why are you giving it back? To keep the gas on, for one thing. <laughs> Besides, it's a male frog, and I've got to have a female. Well, you don't have to spend any money for that. I'll get you a female frog in the park. I never thought of that. I'd certainly appreciate it, Mrs. Davis. Will you bring it back with you after you've paid the gas bill? Certainly, Connie. And I just know that you'll be very happy together. <laughs> And 
And so, class, you are to have these compositions ready by next Tuesday. That's the end of the period. Class dismissed, except Walter Denton. Come up to my desk, Walter. Oh, I'm glad you asked me, Miss Brooks. I wanted to explain about that frog. You see, Mr. Peterson was out to lunch when I got to the pet shop, so I got you one out of the park pond. But was it all right? I mean, was she a girl? No, Walter. She was a boy with big serrated teeth in her lower jaw. And what about the dollar I gave you? Oh, here it is, Miss Brooks. <laughs> I didn't have time to give it to you before. Thanks, Walter. That'll be all for now, then. I'd better get over to Mr. Conklin's office and make my payment on that heater. Oh, here I am, Connie. Hello, Walter. Hello, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Well, what do you think, Connie? Mr. Peterson didn't sell Walter that frog at all. I know, Mrs. Davis. But he said it was a very good specimen and traded me a lovely female for him. And instead of giving us any money, he promised that when our frog becomes a husband, we'll get the pick of the litter. <laughs> I can hardly wait, but where's the female frog? Oh, I had that in a paper bag and it seemed very insecure, so I put the frog in a desk across the hall. Nobody saw me. Across the hall? But that's Mr. Conklin's office. Mrs. Davis, you wait right here, and if I'm not back in five minutes, call the coroner. <laughs> Now, what is it? Come in. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Please transact whatever business you have in this office in a hurry. I've got an appointment with the doctor. The doctor? What's the matter, Mr. Conklin? Oh, just a checkup. A lot of nonsense, if you ask me. My wife's been telling him all sorts of foolishness about the state of my nerves. To hear her tell it, I've not only got the world's highest blood pressure, but I'm jumpy, anxious, overwrought, but irritable. Mr. Conklin... Don't interrupt! <laughs> And I'm ill-tempered. <laughs> now, what is it you want? I just want to give you a dollar towards the heater I accidentally injured. Here. Oh, thanks. Well, sit down for a minute and I'll give you a receipt. I've got a regular Board of Education receipt book around here somewhere. But, Mr. Conklin, your desk drawer... Please, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Don't tell me where I keep my things. Of course, it's in the desk drawer. Let's see now. Book should be right over here next to this blotter. Oh, that's funny. Oh, here it is, over by this frog. <laughs> Hello, little frog. <laughs> Miss Brooks, it won't take a moment to get the receipt. Hello, little frog! <laughs> Miss Brooks, where did this monstrous... Do you know anything about this horrible creature? How did this Please, get in? Please, Mr. Conklin, Did... remember the world's highest blood pressure. Never mind that. What is this frog doing in my desk? Calm down, Mr. Conklin. Ours isn't the only school that's overcrowded. <laughs> I thought you'd never get home from school, Connie. How long did Mr. Conklin spend bowling you off? Oh, it seemed like hours, but actually it was only a few minutes. You should have been there when Mr. Conklin and Millie here faced each other across his desk drawer. Poor thing, her heart hasn't stopped beating yet. Neither is yours, Connie. You're as jumpy as Minerva. Are you sure Mr. Boynton said he'd be over for tea? Oh, definitely, Mrs. Davis. I told him all about how lonely Minerva was and compared her to McDougal. So he's bringing Mac over to meet Millie. It's the first time in weeks we've had a date away from the zoo. Oh. Well, that's Mr. Boynton now. I'll go make the tea, Connie, and you receive him alone. All right, Mrs. Davis, coming. Well, it's nice to see you boys. Come in. Let's go into the living room. Uh, thank you, Miss Brooks. Uh, here's something for Millie. It's from McDougal. Oh, I'll open it for her. 
Well, wasn't that thoughtful of Mac, Millie? Just what you needed, a clump of wilted lettuce. Here, I'll put it in this little box I keep her in. Oh, I guess Mac wants to see what Millie looks like. Oh, of course. Here, just hold him up. There we are. This is Mac, Millie. I think she likes him, but Miss Brooks, didn't you say you had a cat on the premises? That's right, Minerva. She usually sleeps in the piano during the day. Here, Minerva, come out of the piano. Oh, well, she'll probably wake up in a little while. Sit down, Mr. Boynton. Oh, before I do, don't you want to open this big box? For me? Well, what in the world can this be? It's a cat, Miss Brooks. I brought him over to keep Minerva company. Well, here comes Minerva now. Miss Brooks, where are you going? You know where I'm going. I'll meet you by the third monkey from the left. As our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to. A luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Boynton finally took McDougal and his cat and left. Mrs. Davis and I had dinner, and then we sat down in the living room to spend a quiet evening. Minerva went back to sleep, and everything was nice and peaceful when the phone rang. Lie down, Minerva. It's not for you. Hello? Hello? Oh, I'm sorry, Minerva. It is for you. <laughs> Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Parmalee Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Boston Blackie, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.